This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Lisa Traeger. And I'm Kara Clank. And you hopefully know by now the drill. We just recap an episode of Law & Order SVU. We're going to take you through the journey of the true crime it was based on. And then we're going to interview uh, an actor from the show. So... Lisa, what's up? What's new? I'm having a fun week. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, before we talk about anything... We got to talk about the Atlanta Housewives. It is one of the okay. greatest episodes of television <laughs> in recorded history. It's truly, truly wild. We are on a group text with a couple other friends and someone told us, wrote us, you know, an East Coast person wrote us that they had seen it first and was like, I mean, it's just, it's like, it, yeah, it's like, there's a few, if you, if you watch Housewives, there's a few canon episodes that are just classic forever. There's the Berkshires. Scary Island. Scary Island. I have never been with partners in my life you know <laughs> yeah there are really really uh you know just even if you don't watch like my husband the other day said to me he goes can i watch scary island with you i just want to know what you're talking about like so i think i might just show him scary island so these are episodes that i think you can just dip into and realize how amazing they are even if you don't really follow the shows or all the drama of them and this episode is go, gets up there it's on that pedestal with those episodes this is how because i've been describing it to people that are like wait why do i have to watch it i go Sex swings, a stripper in <laughs> Chanel in a cage, and there's a shark. These bitches catch a shark. Okay. Like, are you kidding me? And there might be a threesome, but they put this is, these are women in their 40s and 50s. Their bodies are hot as hell. They're wearing lingerie SM gear. They put the bachelorette in an, a sex swing and put a vibrator on her on television. <laughs> like it is. If you are not, if you, um, if you're like, what does sex positivity look like? It's this episode of this television show, because the other franchises of the show are honestly so prudish and homophobic. Like, they, like in one episode, they go to Amsterdam and they split a piece of space cake, even though weed is legal there. It's like, you know, they're just so prude. Everyone's worried about what they're doing on TV. The Atlanta women do not have not been done giving a fuck. Like it is so good. They have this like orgy 
bachelorette party that is really fun and hilarious. Everyone's having a good time and they try to move the cameras so that you can't see what happens after production kind of shuts down, but we get some glimpses and it's wild. And um, my the background of my phone has changed from Captain Cragen holding Kimba to Carly Jean's drawing of Bolo because <laughs> the stripper, Bolo's the stripper. The very talented artist who did our artwork for That's Messed Up did a like prompt where she was like, tell me to draw something and people just told her to draw Bolo, the stripper people, from Atlanta. I told her. Oh, it was you? Of course. <laughs> I had no idea you were the suggester. Of course it was me. And then she wrote to me going, I don't really know what this is, but people are messaging me nonstop. Like... <laughs> Because everyone else was like a troll doll, a giraffe in roller skates. And I was like, yeah. Bolo, please. I <laughs> I need Bolo. <laughs> and the outfits, they go. My favorite is Marlo going a fishing boat. I think that's my favorite <laughs> line because they all think they're going on a yacht. And then they go and Porsche's like, are we catching Nemo? They're just so funny. And I think I mentioned this in another episode. Like they're so open. And one of their first episodes this year, they all gain weight during the quarantine. They got on a scale and showed their weight to television, which I don't think any franchise would do either. Yeah, they're definitely like they're, they're just very like open about their bodies and sex positive and they'll eat wings on camera. They will lick a wing bone like they, they're. Oh, yeah, like, they don't care. They're just. Oh, amazing. Other, other franchises I have watched two women. I have watched two women on Beverly Hills order a plate of pasta to share. And then I have watched the waiter pick up the full plate of pasta and clear it untouched. OK, the women on Atlanta have a trough of dead pig yes. that they're just going to town on like they're amazing. Candy came back from the boat and she goes, I'm hungry. And then the other women are like, oh, we got to feed her. This will be a disaster. <laughs> like yeah, you don't want to get hangry with the Atlanta women at all. Or I just think Bravo as a whole gets disrespected. I don't know if it's like the patriarchy or what, but watch what happens live. And Andy Cohen is the best late night show of all. And it's never in the conversation. I don't want to keep talking about Jimmy Kimmel and Colbert. I don't care. I want Andy Cohen. It's <laughs> fresh. It's exciting. People are open. They're drinking. There's games like they, it just is never in the conversation of late night shows. No, it's so true. I hate, I think late night is like a dead art form, but I really do think that Watch What Happens Live is so fun. And he gets huge people. I think Oprah's done it. I mean, hasn't Meryl Streep done it? Everyone. Like, yeah, he gets huge, huge people. So it's not like it's just Bravo liberties. But just these episodes of television are funnier than any comedian I've ever seen. Like the things that come out of <laughs> all these women's mouths, they're falling in bushes. They're fucking a pirate. I mean, Ramona has shit her pants on television twice. 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 Like you never get to see women in that age, like have fun and get drunk. And I just, it doesn't get the respect it deserves. Yeah. And you see women of a different age group also as like, you know, sexual beings and who have like desires and wants and stuff. That's what I love about Bravo. So, hey, guys, this is our uh, non non paid sponsorship of bravo uh if you'd like to dip into the bravo verse i went to go buy bolo merch already sold out the next day a bolo's making a nice bag from this it sure. sounded like you just said ebola though <laughs> ebola no bolo which you know a bolo in the law enforcement world is stands for be on the lookout wow so when they put out a bolo for like 
We're looking for a female, five foot seven, brown hair. Like that's there's a Is bolo. that what he's saying? Like be on the lookout for his giant dick that's the size of his arm? Be on the lookout for his 12-inch serpentine penis. Oh my God. I mean, obviously they can't show it, but you see it under pants and it is. Oh, people sent me videos of the of the dick. The like close up. Yeah, there's a Twitter thread I was sent of him doing strip shows other places with his. Oh, where dick you out. saw the real thing? Yes. Fuck. Listen, I love the internet. I love texting. I love group chats. I love memes. <laughs> <laughs> love a gif. No one could ever accuse you of not loving the internet, Lisa. Um, anyway, let's jump right from <laughs> Dick Watch 2021 to... Wait, wait. We did it. They were on the cover of People. Oh, my gosh. Maloney Benson, okay. baby. <laughs> Maloney. Why do wait, I okay, switch, stab- switch it Stabler up? and Benson, Maloney and Hargitay <laughs> were on the cover of People magazine, clearly doing press for organized crime, which is amazing. But I, like, loved it. The cover is so sweet. And somebody wrote us a message and really encompassed my feeling on this. It was just really nice to see like a man and a woman on a cover of a magazine that are just friends, like, and just celebrating like male, female friendship. That's not like anything sexual. I mean, I know in our minds, we want them to be sexual as their characters. Some of us, but like, you know, the ship, the, the Bensler shippers aside, it's just nice that they have this 25 year friendship that is really beautiful and it's not sexualized. Like they both have partners, you know? Yeah. And like, she is a godmother to one of his children. Oh, he, I didn't even know that. Yeah. And he was there when like, she met her husband, obviously Peter. And like, she was like, I loved his marriage so much and seeing them showed me what I can have. And it just seems yeah. like they inspire themselves outside of the show and work so well together. And in the videos, she made fun of his bald head, which, you know, yeah, was they great. like rib each other and they really they really like make fun of each other and are really like just you can tell they're just like genuine friends. And she, yeah, she says that she has four pillar men in her life, her father, her husband, Dick Wolf and Christopher Maloney. That's like huge. Yeah. And it seemed like she was about to tear up or maybe I was reading too into it. But when she was talking about it, she goes, I mean, usually when people leave a show, the audience gets used to it. But it is such a testament to what they created that we're 10 years out from uh, Maloney leaving and people are still obsessed with those first 12 seasons. Yeah. And love them so much. And it is like, yeah, you guys really created something that we can't get enough of. Right. So anyway, that came out last Friday. So it's on your newsstands now. So go get it. And then I don't know if it was in our personal chats or on the That's Messed Up accounts, but someone wrote to us like Kardashian is probably furious. She's not on this week's cover. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Somebody wrote Kim is so furious. She didn't get the cover for her divorce. (laughs) And you know what? Sorry. All right. Let's get into today's episode. Okay, uh, this is Serendipity, season five, episode five, which seems kind of magical, you know, 55. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's not, but I like it. So we start out and it's the center of disease control and Ghostbuster style outfits and they're doing stuff in a sewer. And then a woman who I think I could play, um, a very, (laughs) just an annoying uh, Jewish New Yorker, I would say, holding a paper bag of groceries. Who uses paper bags without handles? I just... I don't even know. (laughs) 
But this is a classic SVU thing where it's just like a nosy New Yorker being like, what are you doing? What is that? What's happening? Like they always what kind have is it like anthrax? Um, <laughs> so many questions. And they're like, go on with your day. We're going to figure this out. And then she peeks over. We see a little baby hand and she goes, I hope that's a baby. I changed the accent. Um, she said, I hope that's a baby. I can't do it. Whatever. She hopes it's a baby doll. Um, it's clearly Law and Order SVU. It is not a doll. And that is a baby in a trash bag in a sewer. And dun dun, it's SVU baby. That was really tough to watch. It was tough to see that little baby hand. It was a cute hand. It was definitely upsetting. <laughs> it was a really cute hand. So then we get to the credits. And what is interesting to me is Diane Neal is in the cast photo in the end. And so I'm wondering if the people watching this live were like, who's that woman? Yeah. You know, because this is her first episode. Huge deal. Um, we meet Casey Novak, but she was in that photo. And I just wonder if the hardcore audience yeah, is that's interesting. I mean, I don't know if you've watched enough of it, like that photo kind of just rolls over you because like you've seen so many. No, that's when you're getting snacks. That's like when you're running around. But I was like, whoa, hide that photo for next week. What are you guys up to? (laughs) So we learned that if the water was any higher, the baby would have washed into the East River. So it's like all of these things are helping us find this child. Um, There's a baby blanket. The umbilical cord is still attached and there's no obvious trauma. So this is obviously confusing. Like the baby had a blanket. It wasn't her. Like, what the fuck's going on? And then I love when SVU is a cab on their own because we have another street officer. and He goes, hey, there's an endocrinologist. And he's not. He's an entomologist. Um, so I really loved that. Uh, <laughs> he couldn't keep it straight, which I love. And I have an endocrinologist. I'm not bragging, but I do have a thyroid <laughs> problem. So they talk to the bug guy and this is very, very gross, but it happens a lot on forensic files through the development of like larva and bugs or whatever. You can tell how long the body has been there. And so this is very, very a fresh baby. Um, So they know that the mother lives close by and they immediately find her building because they're the best. (laughs) And... Can you fucking believe it? The landlord of the building is the Rahawa racist from Raw. Um, This predates his racism, but it was really exciting to see him. And I would live in his building. And it's just a testament to what a great actor he is because in Raw. Yeah, he was like so nice and like just a sweet like maintenance man or landlord. Just yeah, making jokes, running up the stairs and like I'm watching Raw. I'm like, I will piss in your face. And here I'm like, can I sign a lease? It's funny, too, when they're like any boyfriends, it's like, would your landlord know if you had a boyfriend? Like my landlord would never knew a thing about me. I barely ever saw my landlord face to face. You know what I mean? In New York. Landlords are a touchy subject to me since I was almost poisoned with carbon monoxide multiple <laughs> times. Um, but so, yeah, I think not only have my landlords not known about me, they tried to murder me seriously in your sleep (laughs) in my my sleep and then yell at me for calling the fire department (laughs) new york new york um so (laughs) they go into the apartment and it's really fucked up they see a woman on her bed there's a lot of blood and what the fuck happened here um so someone ripped out the baby she died and then they dumped the baby in the sewer and this is my favorite munch trying to be a human and so he's talking to one of the neighbors and it's an elderly woman with a lot of birds and 
you know, she's like, the birds loved the woman. So that was like her litmus test for who's a good person. She must have been a good person because my birds loved her. <laughs> yes. But she didn't hear anything because of her hearing aids. And anyone that owns a bird, I'm sorry if you're listening. I don't care if you come for us. You're a psychopath. <laughs> um, pet birds are, well, that's not true. I've switched because of T'Challa from Potomac. I'm like, I could get into a bird. So Lisa rescinds calling you all psychopaths, bird <laughs> yes, owners. Sorry about that. You can have a bird. <laughs> you can have birds. You, you can, can have now birds. have a bird if it's a beautiful gray parrot that repeats what you say. <laughs> and then, you know, they talk to another neighbor who's working from home, very 2020, 2021. <laughs> and he didn't hear a thing. And they're like, she was giving birth. What do you mean you didn't hear anything? And he's like, she was kind of quiet. Like no one is quiet during birth is the point that they make. And Ice-T has a long ass ponytail here. And it's just nice to reminisce about the old ponytail days. <laughs> so Melinda Warner, our beautiful MD, she said that- It's Emmy, Lisa. I just Emmy. hear you say MD all the time and it is Emmy. I just want you to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Melinda, she uh, said that someone helped deliver the baby and cleaned up the afterbirth. And so they're at the scene trying to solve it. Was there a stroke? There's no evidence of foul play. Maybe they found her too late. Like they don't know what's up. And then Elliot finds great evidence, some prenatal vitamins. So they know that she went to a doctor. So off to the doctor, they go. She wasn't due for another three weeks, uh, but trauma could lead you into labor. The doctor said she was like detached and not really into the pregnancy at all, didn't care about any of the results, but had all of these tests, like so many high class tests done. And she came from a free clinic to this fancy, fancy doctor situation. We find out her name is Brianna Moore, but the credit card is charged uh, with a Ron Wolcott and he works at the Flavor Institute, which <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> I love food science and restaurant. You know, we're not supposed to know what it is, but I knew a food scientist once and it's impressive to me um, who makes all those flavors of Lay's. So they go to Ron <laughs> Wolcott's house and they see a woman with another paper grocery bag, which I do, how I just this was never a memory in my life. You? Well, I guess not. But I think if you're picking up stuff at a bodega, I mean, you usually get a plastic bag. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they all have handles now. It is very um, retro. Maybe it's just of the time. Yeah. Um, and she has, you know, fresh flowers in there. And I thought it looked like Twizzlers, but who knows? So the woman's like, oh, we know Brianna. <laughs> well, because they, they try to play it off like someone stole your card. They went to this doctor. And so then we find out this woman knows Brianna and Brianna is actually carrying her baby. So we find out Brianna is carrying this baby for the Wolcotts um, and paid for their expenses. They paid for her to have a better apartment. Um, they paid for everything so she didn't have to work because she had a really tough, uh, demanding physical job. And the adoption was set through mutual friends and we're off. I mean, this really feels like a relay race. We are in so many places this episode. So she was giving her baby to them like yes. they were not. It wasn't like a surrogate thing. It was like she was giving this baby to them. Yeah. And they seem, you know, just like rich New Yorkers, you know, not suspicious or anything mm -hmm. to me. I don't know. So then we go meet the friend, Marcy Cochran, who works at the Flavor Institute with Ron Wilcott, but volunteers at a hotline. So Brianna called the Metro hotline and started talking to Marcy. And we find out she didn't want to commit suicide, but was very sad. And she met the baby daddy in a park. It was her dream guy. They fucked. And then 
he gave her a fake number. And so she was never able to reach him. And so she became pregnant from this one night stand. And Marcy and her became super close. And they talked at their house. And Elliot's like, is that fucking normal? And she goes, no, but we connected. And then what we find out is she either convinced her, pressured her, led her to agree to give the baby to the Wolcotts. I think Marcy is crossing the line of ethics here, but, you know, mm -hmm. we need a plot line. So then we find out that Marcy and Brianna actually got into a fight four days ago because Brianna decided to keep the baby. Marcy told her husband, her husband told Ron, and now we have suspects because we have people mad at her because she decided that she wants to keep her baby, which legally... You're allowed to, at any point, biological mothers, change your mind. Mm -hmm. We're back at the Emmy's office, and Melinda has a tight bun, and her hair's pulled back. She looks amazing. And then it's kind of, like, really sad, horrific, sick details coming up. Um, so the baby bled to death from the umbilical cord. The perp knew how to kill her without being caught it's an old scottish way of suffocation he suffocated her by sitting on her chest yeah because there was like a button imprint from her dress on her mm -hmm. chest um so it it it's really upsetting um she was also injected with a sedative that sedates you but you can feel everything but you can't do anything about it so again this person is fucking evil like you're already doing evil shit can you like whatever um yeah. the sedative is called versed and then you know they're like but how did she give birth to the baby if she's sedated and of course melinda has an answer and it's basically a synthetic form of a hormone that was put into her anus via a suppository to make her give birth jesus it's, it's sick and it, it's like this is a sicko and we watch a lot of SVU and this is a fucking demented sicko. He's deranged. Like she felt everything, couldn't move, forced her into labor, suffocated her and ripped her baby out. Like, how do you hate someone this much to do this to them? So, you know, Stabler and Benson head on over to the Flavor Institute. To, I mean, <laughs> the Flavor Institute is just way the too The Flavor comical. Institute <laughs> just sounds like so funny i mean it sounds like what's his name guy fieri's like school of of cooking or something yeah who's been very good at trying to help restaurants and save yes. restaurants during this time i know people hate him because of his blonde tips i think he is slowly like coming out to the other side of being like a joke i think people like him now and i want to say i give a little credit to shane torres for the guy fieri flip around he had a very amazing <laughs> joke about it and yeah. he did it on television and i give him credit <laughs> um so you know they're fighting with ron the wolcott's deny it they search their place and everything and they're like it's not us it's not us and so as a viewer i'm beginning to think this is not the person while they're searching, Casey Novak appears out of thin air. It's like a magic trick. And she is here. And, you know, Benson's like, who the hell are you? Uh, which I like. And Benson is immediately really antagonistic towards her. It's funny. Yeah, right away. And, you know, and I just love Casey's hair here. It looks like she just got out of bed. <laughs> it's and insane. 
no products, <laughs> just like a ragamuffin <laughs> hair situation. It's so funny to me. But, you know, the ADA walks in and Stabler knows her from the cop lawyer softball team game. I don't know. They played softball. Which to each other. we are obsessed with. Diane Neal in another episode has a baseball style, like three quarter T-shirt that says sex crimes on it. The greatest merch ever. And we need it <laughs> immediately because, uh, yeah, so they know each other from softball and Stabler's like, get out of here. This isn't what you're supposed to do. You're a lawyer. And she's like, I like to be hands on. I want to get in the dirt with everything. And they're like, get the fuck away from us. Then she goes, have we checked Brianna's apartment? And it's like, yes, the detectives went to Brianna's apartment, ADA Casey Novak. Like, they, But she goes, <laughs> but she goes, but it hasn't been searched by me. And then they're back at Brianna's apartment. They're so contentious. Like everything is defensive and angry. And she keeps giving ideas and Stabler keep, I mean, Olivia keeps shutting them down, but proving them wrong. So they find a stack of books. So Casey Novak's like, how do we know she wanted to keep the baby? And Benson sees what to expect when you're expecting types of books. And she goes, yeah, but when did she get them? And it's like from the library and their stamp dates. <laughs> yeah. But then she does help out a little. There's a book called Skin diseases for the elderly. So why would a young woman have that? Can I just ask really quickly that if anybody's listening, can you and you have like a law background? Or I know we have some like law students and stuff who listen to us. Just like let me know how often ADAs are like searching crime scenes on their own. I just feel like that's not a thing. But in this show, like Carisi's doing unassisted pull-ups people are like ADAs are just showing up on the scene all the time and I feel like they're more courtroom focused so please let me know if that's a normal thing yeah the tag team relay race continues and we're at the library and every library in a new in a New York City library knows Brianna and everything she's ever done in that library <laughs> <laughs> like it is really incredible she's there all the time and what we find out is she saw magazine with a photo of a man and went and said, how do I get information on him? Went to a different librarian who, sh you know, showed her the name and the books he wrote. And then immediately she asked, give me a book or information on paternity tests. So we now find out there's this dermatologist who is the baby daddy, who is this one night stand. And she obviously let him know. So then we're at a super fancy office and this doctor is denying it all. Um, he has his own line of skincare with pretty displays, but not like a normal suspect. He agrees to a paternity test very quickly and says, actually, I was going to suggest that. So we're back at the precinct. Ron is cleared of all the evidence. And then Munch comes in and says, OK, bad news. This guy. What's the guy's name? Newlands. Newlands. So the, the funny thing with Newlands, I don't know if you've seen the movie Saved, but I only think of him as Pastor Skip. So I might be calling him Pastor Skip for this episode. <laughs> so Munch comes in and says, Pastor Skip did not commit this crime. His DNA does not match, but his DNA matches a cold case. So we just cleared a cold case. So they go and arrest him while he's in the middle of Botox, which is amazing. I love when they interrupt doctors in their office and they're like, <laughs> you can't be in here. And they're like, Bleh. so he gets arrested for raping a six year old um, in 1998. And the acting here is amazing because you could tell he's confused 
So we're in the interrogation room. He's denying it the whole time. Um, and then Casey Novak's interrupting the like she's getting too involved. Stabler and her are fighting. It's just a really hectic interrogation scene where he's denying everything. Casey Novak's wants to be by the book constantly. And then we get the sexiest uh, man of all, Trevor Langan. He comes oh, in. Mariska Hargitay's real life husband, Peter Herman. Yeah. And so he's there to protect a pedophile, like always. And, you know, he did do good work, but in the future, but whatever. So uh, Mr. Benson's looking fine as hell. And he comes and starts defending Mr. Skip. So, you know, what they know about pedophiles is it's never just one. There's got to be a pattern and we have to find more victims because pedophiles don't stop at one, especially if they're not caught. Like something is up here. So they end up going to visit the girl that was the initial victim from 1998. And they have to find more victims because that case has reached its What's the word? Statute of limitations. Which is bullshit. I don't understand statute of limita limitations. If you rape a child 15 years ago, what? why? And the DNA matches. Like, what the fuck? Like, what pedophile came up with statute of limitations? I don't understand. I feel like they've been extended more in a lot of states, but maybe I'm, I, I, I might not know that. Like, I think that a lot of people feel the same way you do. I just, it's really does not help victims. It's. It's very annoying to me. So they meet this girl and she has really sweet curly hair and she's got an attitude because obviously she's dealt with a lot of trauma. And we find out that this is like a honey kind of rapist where he carries around packets of honey that he puts on his dick and makes children lick it off. And then that leads to sexual assault. And they find a case two months prior with this honey signature and Casey's like, we're bringing the kid in. We're bringing the kid in for a lineup. And everyone at the SVU is like, yo, this is going to, we, we can't bring a child this young in. It's going to fuck her up. And if she does something right, like, no. And she's fighting with them. And it's like, Casey, you came from white collar crimes. Like, why are you not listening to these mm -hmm. special victim detectives that are telling you this is a bad idea? The child comes in. She's so cute. So cute. Honestly, I mean, we have an incredible guest and I can't believe we have her. But my second choice was this kid. <laughs> like, even before Pastor Skip, this kid lives rent free in my mind. I like her so much. So sweet. And she's Alicia and she's so scared and she does a bad job, quote unquote, like doesn't name the suspect. And so she's like, I'm sorry. And then, um, you know, Benson goes to yell at Casey Novak for being a dumb bitch. And Casey Novak is crying and understands what she did was not good. So Benson and Novak talk about dating and we find out everyone in the special victims unit has a clusterfuck of bad marriages and divorces and dating experiences, which is not news to us. And Casey's like, why do you do it? She's like, because someone's got to because they're heroes. So Casey goes to Newland's wife to um, convince her, like, why aren't you helping us? We know that you're lying and reveals that there's DNA evidence. And then you see that she is shook because he never mentioned the DNA. She's a doctor. She knows DNA doesn't lie. Lisa, do you watch Handmaid's Tale? I don't know. It's too scary. Oh, OK. I get like a very Yvonne Strahovski, who plays the main bad guy's like wife. I get a vibe from that from her. Well, I know her from Dexter. Yes, it's her from Dexter. Like, I get that vibe from the wife, like the tight braid and like just like 
the way she's pouring a drink while she talks to Casey. I was just getting very Handmaid's Tale vibes, but go on. Well, no, someone that's not drinking right now, trust me, in my notes, it did say whiskey and I wanted some. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't mention the drink. I'm glad you did. So, you know, good move on, Casey. I don't think it's part of the rules. So um, Trevor and Casey, they're fighting with a judge about legal stuff. And it's the judge with the red curls, Judge Lois Preston, which I think we should could say canon. I think she's. Yes. A oh, no, she's like a judge. full. She's a full no nonsense bitch judge. And I love her. Yeah. So now we are in the courtroom and Pastor Skip's not showing up to court. Um, so that's a big deal. And then the funniest thing that's ever happened on SVU, we have, so they set up Trevor to meet Pastor Skip in a diner and then Munch and Finn are sitting and we learn that <laughs> Munch is a bad investor in dive bars and restaurants, which thanks for that tidbit. He's like trying to get Finn to invest in this diner and it just makes me laugh so much. And they are so mean to Trevor who's like helping them catch this guy and they're like, eyes up front, you little turd breath. Like, I don't remember exactly <laughs> what they say to him, but they're just like, you bottom feeder. And why didn't Pastor Skip show up anywhere? He's murdered. Shot in the back of the head, bleeding everywhere. Cause then they're like, oh, was it suicide? No, no one can shoot themselves in the back of the head. Please do not try. So the wife and kids have moved out. I don't think they even look for who killed this guy. Like they truly don't even care. Clearly, I think it's the wife, but they never touch on it. And it's just amazing. They're like, yeah, good riddance. Oh, I thought that it was um the pedophile. Oh, really? I for some reason I thought that. Hannah, have you watched this episode? I don't think they mention it, but I think that's like assumed. I don't think it's assumed it's his wife. Yeah, I think it's the pedophile because she's like, you can't. He's like, whatever you did to like implicate me or like implicate yourself, like you're not getting away. I think they thought like if he died, it would just end the case. And the person could continue. And the person could continue wow. like living their life. So he's murdered, shot in the back of the head. And... Basically, there's another crime scene, you know, terrible. Another girl was snatched. There's a honey packet. B.D. Wong found it. And he was just saying this is like a last hurrah and the kid could be dead. So they really have to get to work. And so we're at the Emmy's office and we have Pastor Skip on the slab and Melinda's giving the rundown of what's going on. He has this giant scar on his upper arm and they find a tube of blood inside of his arm. And everyone is super confused. Melinda is like, yeah, he could have given himself a local and did it himself. And everyone's like, but why would anyone do this? And then we have B.D. Wong. He's not in the FBI for no reason. And he goes, oh, to beat a paternity test. So basically... This dermatologist, to get out of a double homicide, took some blood from the dermatology office, implanted it in a tube into his arm, and that blood happened to be a pedophile rapist. I mean, can you make this stuff up? <laughs> I don't know. All right. So the conversation is, why wouldn't he just come forward? And it's like, would you rather be a pedophile rapist or a double homicide person? Like, I don't know. It's, it seems like a hard decision to make. But rich, like older people like that, like white dudes, like I think he thought he was going to get away with it. So then they understand that the pedophile probably hears the news that they caught someone and is so pumped that he goes out to be like the worst person again because he knows that they're busy working on something else. 
So they go to the dermatology office for the wife to help figure out whose blood it is. And she remembers that her husband lied about having a cut on her daughter's 18th birthday. She lied for him before the day that he killed Brianna. And so Peter Nessler, that is who she took blood from because he had a melanoma and he's addicted to Botox, apparently. And they go to his apartment and he has like tons of honey bear like those containers of honey that are shaped like bears, which mm-hmm. I love. I think they're the cutest. And <laughs> I want to get a tattoo of one of them. And now I'm conflicted. But <laughs> And then Casey shows up and they're like so mad to see her. Um, but she goes, no, I have a warrant for you. And wait, hold on. Are those plugs and worms and blah? And I'm actually a fisher lady. So all of a sudden... <laughs> She's a fishing expert and she notices the rods are rusted. And so she knows that he fishes in saltwater. There's a photo of the boat and the boat has some perverted honey slip. What's the honeydew? It's called honeydew, like the melon, but it's more disgusting. Yeah. So they run to this boat place and, um, you know, they see a guy and they think that it's him. And then they tell Casey Novak, like, she's a bad, bad child. They're like, you stay right here and don't you come <laughs> don't any you closer. <laughs> so they start chasing the pedophile. He's running. And then he, Stabler gets him in the water. And then as Stabler and his perfect anger problems, he keeps dunking him in the water way too long and just really trying to drown this guy. And we're into it. And then Casey Novak listens to her instincts, reaches into the cooler, and she ends up saving the victim and there's a girl in the cooler and so she's now holding this child it's like the end of a war movie and she is the hero that saves the kid and hopefully the and it's a slam dunk case for her first case and then she goes to um da arthur branch who's played by fred thompson and she's like i can't do this job this isn't for me it's too much and he goes you're perfect for the job because you care and you know he's a real senator Fred Thompson, who then became this character and is so good at it. I didn't know that. Yeah. He ran for president. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. He was a Republican who represented Tennessee for a while. Wow. That's amazing. He just became like right after he was done, he became this like sort of long running character on the show. And he knew that Casey Novak was going to thrive in this position. So we're going to take a break and we'll be back to hear about the wild real life events. Okay, we are back. I hope you enjoyed those advertisements. So a couple of things we wanted to just bring up up top from uh, the first half of the show. Lisa was talking about statute of limitations. So it turns out that the statute of limitations was originally founded to ensure that people were not getting convicted with old and degraded evidence. But I think that that was made like pre-DNA and the preservation of DNA and, and stuff like that. So now actually 10 states have abolished the statute of limitations with crimes like this. So that's really great. And we hope other states will follow suit. But... Let's get into this crime. This is really fucking wild. I definitely have seen forensic files in my life. I know Lisa's a big fan. I just haven't in a while watched a forensics files. And 
I watched one on this case and it was a treat and a dream. Like, it's really just so funny. And I've been in, it's, well, I don't know if funny is the word it, to well, describe the, it. Well, the reenactments are funny to me. The reenactments okay. are funny. Like, that's it. Sorry. And it's so dramatic. Very dramatic. I've been in a YouTube hole and I was watching Juliette Lewis interviews and she's very into forensic files. And then all the YouTube comments were like, well, where is the Scientology guy's wife? Why don't you forensic files yeah. that one? <laughs> <laughs> Every comment was like, why don't you investigate Miss Cabbage? Let's yeah. get one on that. That's so funny. Okay, so this crime that I'm about to talk to you guys about happened in a small Canadian farm town called Kiplings in Saskatchewan. It's a place where the farm num animals outnumber the residents. Everybody knows who everybody is. They're known for like maybe five to six sexual assaults a year, break-ins, like just a very like low-key crime situation in this part of Canada. And um, Halloween 1992, this woman named Candy was working at a gas station this is the really the reenactment that made me laugh because like they have a whole reenactment of her. Her boyfriend comes into her gas station. They get into a huge fight. And so like obviously this actress comes out and is like, I just can't even talk to you right now. And it's just this really <laughs> funny like they look very 90s. So Candy really worked up from her fight with her boyfriend goes to visit her girlfriend who like works at the hospital. And I guess the girlfriend's not there. So a nurse suggests she sees a doctor. I do not get why. Like, I guess she's pretty hysterical, but it's just it seems strange to be like, you need medical attention because you're mad from a fight. So the nurse gets um, Dr. John Schneeberger, who was on call that night and who is actually Candy's doctor. He had delivered her baby. So he recommends a sedative for Candy because she had said I'm, she was so mad she felt like killing her boyfriend. But she obviously didn't mean I'm going to kill my boyfriend. She was just like describing how angry she was. And she thought the doctor was just going to give her some pills. But instead, he gives her a shot. She goes numb almost right away, has no control over her muscles. She says she tried to scream, but it just came out like a croaking sound. Like, so it's terrifying. It's almost like it's almost like in a situation like this, I don't know what you think, Lisa, like I would rather just be fully knocked out than have this like paralyzing, you know what's going on, but you're paralyzed. Well, I think that's a, a part of the episode where it's like these people are extra sick, you know, like yeah. they want the person to suffer and remember it. Yeah, because it's probably as a doctor, very easy to grab like a full anesthetic that knocks someone out. Right. Yeah. Like so anyway. She's not sure what happens next, but she believes that she was raped because she was semi-awake. And she's like, you know, she she kind of describes it as like, you know, when you're at the dentist and you kind of feel them wriggling around the tooth, like, you know, they're moving your tooth around, even though you're not feeling the pain. So it's like, that's what she kind of equates her feeling when she woke up. So she knew something happened. So this woman, I just have to give like the most props to Candy. She is so smart. She fucking does everything right in this case. She wakes up. She places her underwear in an airtight bag. Um, the nurses had convinced her to stay overnight and she didn't mention the event to them, which people later think is suspicious. And I'm like, why would she trust nurses if she wakes up and the doctor has just raped her? Like, why would she trust? I wouldn't trust anyone around me. I'd be like, what? They're in cahoots, especially since the nurse is the one that said, oh, you should go see the doctor. Right. So you like, I don't think it's weird. She didn't mention it to these nurses. Like, like what? I mean, I just I think that's a completely normal reaction. Well, it's also like you mentioned, like she did everything right. And that's like the whole argument sometimes with I don't even know with who, but like a rape victim can never do everything right because someone will always find some weird thing where it's like, but you are wearing a bathing suit. And it's like, 
so what? Like they, yeah. like, people that don't want to believe rape victims will find any reason to devalue or like not listen to a story. And I don't mean to imply that any rape victim is doing anything wrong no, by not doing the things that this woman's doing. All I'm saying is she clearly knew about like DNA. And like, this is only 1992. She knows a lot about DNA. She knows like about chain of evidence and everything like that. Like she does, she takes a lot of steps that actually help her case is what I'm meaning to say. Well, no, I know. I didn't think you said that. Yeah, no, but no, it's no like I know. I'm even, just, I was just clarifying. But even if she like went to the nurse, they would be like, but what about that? Or like if she waited till the next day to text a friend or she didn't do like there, it's like the fucking defense attorneys on SVU. They will find any random ass thing to inflate to be a reason why you're lying. Right. Well, and here's what happened. So the next day she confronts Dr. Schneeberger and goes, what the hell was that drug you gave me last night? And he goes, why did it give you bad dreams? So he's, she knew immediately that he was trying to cover his tracks. Like with when, when he said that, like that he was trying to make it seem like she had hallucinated this. So like they have interviews with her parents where like, they're just very Canadian. They're like, well, I was really hoping it wasn't true. eh?" like every, they have like a lot of A's and it's just like, I always think that that's exaggerated because I have a lot of Canadian friends who don't say a, but. These people are very Canadian in this um, thing, and they're, they're very sweet people. Um, but anyway, the parents could tell from her face. They believed her immediately. They could tell something was up, which I, I just, like, love supportive parents. So Candy uh, knew she couldn't go back to get, like, a test at that hospital on her, like, body. So she drives to Regina. Rhymes with vagina. I don't know why they don't call themselves Regina. And that's a two-hour drive away. So she drives herself two hours away to go to a rape clinic for testing. They find semen on her jeans, in her underwear, and in a vaginal swab. So very, like, smart that she drove there, probably without showering or anything. She just, like, really wanted to know if this happened or if she was imagining it. Like, she wasn't, she was pretty positive, but, you know. Um, and they find the exact same drug they use in the episode, Versed, in her system, which is this pre-anesthetic agent that's supposed to, like, you know, loosen you up and make you sort of numb before I think you get fully put under and so you're still semi-conscious. So many people in the town believe that Candy was lying. It's this small town. It's this typical thing of he is this respected doctor and a respected member of the community. Candy's like a 23-year-old girl, apparently prone to emotional outbursts. She's an unwed mother and has a reputation as a party girl. I mean, okay, whatever. I just saw a Instagram quote that said... How come this like single mothers are the ones vilified when they're the parent that stayed? Hmm. Yeah. Patriarchy. Like, why are <laughs> we not mad at these people that are leaving their kids? So, yeah. So they thought all these people thought that Candy was in it for a relationship with the doctor. Like they wanted to have a like he, she was what blackmailing him into a relationship or that she was in it for money. Um, and like people, like I said, people were suspicious. She didn't say anything to the nurses. I think, I think that's complete bullshit. And then much like in this episode with pastor skip, Dr. Schneeberger willingly agrees to give blood for the DNA test and it doesn't match. And candy's like, that's impossible, but she would not let this issue died. She insisted that someone had tampered with this DNA test. That was 92. He agreed to a second test in 93, which was monitored by the police. Once again, the DNA did not match the DNA on the rape kit. And the doctor, 
had said that Versed can cause erotic hallucinations. And then there's a senior prosecutor in the forensic files who goes, yeah, but it can't produce semen. So like, <laughs> how did this semen get inside of her? That's like not her boyfriend's. And like, she, you know, she doesn't know whose it is. So the town is not being kind to Candy and that's making me very mad. But she hires a private investigator who breaks into Schneeberger's car Love it. He finds hair samples, but with no root attached. So they can't be used for a test. And like they'll they'll often do this in SVU where they find a hair like just, you know, lying somewhere or like in a carpet or in a hairbrush. And I guess in a hairbrush, it's more likely to find a hair with a root. But I think people don't really know commonly that not every hair can be examined. Like you can only get DNA off of hair with a root. So this private investigator also finds a tube of chapstick. In the reenactment, it's that old school like chapstick. Like, what is that brand even? Like the black, you know, it's the black kind. That's the classic chapstick medicated, I think. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, the classic chapstick. But is that a brand or is it called chapstick? Is chapstick the brand? I know that chapstick does have a black container, but I don't know if there are other black containered lip (laughs) lubricants on the market. Lip lubricants. Chapstick is the brand. Chapstick is the brand. Okay. So it's the classic brand of chapstick. Which this is like the bird thing. Don't buy classic. What are you doing? Get a strawberry. (laughs) I get the red. I get the cherry. Of course. Um, Yeah. So Candy has the chapstick. She at her own expense, she pays for the cells on the lip bomb the chapstick to get tested and they match so now in her mind she just knows that she's right about what happened which is uh probably a a great victory for her but of course they can't use this evidence in it's inadmissible because the investigator broke into the car so now we have to figure out like why the dna from the lips is different from the dna in the blood candy filed a civil suit she sat across from Schneeberger's wife, Lisa, who just glared at her the whole time. Like this woman, Lisa is like, you're ruining my life. And just like giving her death stare the entire time. In 1996, Schneeberger agrees to take another test. So this is four years later. This was videotaped by police and performed in their lab. And you, I've, the video is in this forensic files. The tech wants to take blood from his finger but he says he has a disease that would cause his hands to bruise. Like, boo fucking who? Take the prick out of your finger. Like, I, I really don't care if you get a bruised hand. Um, and it's a voluntary test, so they can't force him to do anything he doesn't want to do. So she takes it from his left arm instead. The needle goes in and nothing comes out. And the, the tech actually said it was weird because the vein looked larger than expected. But then eventually they do get some blood out. And the tech said it's weird because the blood didn't look fresh. And then when they tested it, it was determined to be too degraded. So she's really pissed off. She says, quote, they have to follow the rules of the Canadian justice system. I like to call it the Canadian criminal system because that's what it is. The criminals have all the rights. So she's pissed because now we're going on like five years that this uh, case has not like had no break. And she's positive it's this guy. So in 97, five years after the rape, the police do get a break. A tragic break, a horrible break. Schneeberger's stepdaughter, his wife's child, claims that the doctor has been assaulting her in the same manner for years, that he's been coming into her room at night, giving her injections. The wife believes the daughter immediately, which is great because she did not believe Candy. And um, she discovers a box full of condoms, needles and drugs, including Versed, in the doctor's home office. So they get one quote from Lisa where she said, I blame myself. I still blame myself. And Candy was mad because she's like, I've been trying to prevent this. I knew he would do this to someone else. And like, no one was listening to me. And everyone thought I was like this town slut who just wanted to be in a relationship with a doctor. 
So he was arrested and had to do another DNA test, again, videotaped. But I think this time, because he's arrested, they can take whatever they want. So they get hair, saliva, blood samples, this time from his finger, not his arm. And all of the DNA samples they take match Candy's rape kit. Okay. So then we still don't know how did he do this? Obviously, if you watch SVU, you kind of know how he did it. But he reveals his secret on the stand. In 1999, he goes to tr- on trial for the rape of Candy and his stepdaughter. And on the stand, he says he surgically inserted the plastic tube into his arm filled with blood from one of his patients. And that's why he always insisted on his left arm being where he took the blood from. In the video of the third DNA test, the one where the blood was too degraded, they actually go back and replay it. And you can see that he only pulls his sleeve up so high so that you can't see the suture. But at one point when he thought nobody was really around, he kind of lifted his sleeve up even farther and you can see the whole tube protruding from his arm. Like you can see it coming out, but what no one would have looked at that. Like no one would have been looking at like the footage of him by himself in the waiting room, like before the tech came in, you know? So by the time the third, that third test was done, the blood in the tube had become so old and dark and that's why it had been degraded and like couldn't be used. So this man is so psychotic. He would not admit to raping candy. He alleged that Candy broke into his home, stole a used condom, framed the entire rape, like did the whole rape as a charade to frame him. It's like, okay, dog, whatever you say. Well, I just don't understand what's this vendetta she has against you. You delivered her child. You're her doctor. Like, what's the problem? It makes no sense. Um, And so he said he did what he did because he had no other way to defend himself. Like she was going to get away with this charge. And so like I had to try to beat it. Okay, so. They get a really funny quote from Candy. Like the whole time you're watching these forensic files, like you feel bad for Candy, but you're also like very uh, like I was very admiring of her, like because she seems like such a strong woman. Like she goes, I was a bulldog on the stand. I kicked his lawyer's ass. He's supposed to be the best lawyer in Saskatchewan. Well, I showed him who's boss. Like she was just really, really cute and funny. And she was right all along and she was so determined. And he was found guilty of sexual assault against her drugging and obstructing justice. And all these supporters of Candy and Lisa, like, were in the, when he got taken away after they were all clapping and yelling, bye, John, which reminds me of that other case where they were like, bye, like her friends in the courtroom. He was sentenced to six years in prison, which I think is insane for how calculated and diabolical this plot was. Like, uh, they just let a guy out of prison for $20 of weed in uh, the U.S. who was in there for 12 years. I mean, I know our system is by no means perfect, but Canada, you got to give somebody more than six years in prison for this. They said the sentence was lenient even by Canadian standards. The judge found Schneeberger guilty of assaulting Candy But because Lydia couldn't remember the assaults due to the anesthetic, she dismissed that charge. So she found Schneeberger guilty of injecting his stepdaughter with anesthetic. So he got that. He got the injections or or like uh, the drugging charge for that, but not the sexual assault. His total sentence was six years with possibility of parole in two, which is insane. But during her Forensic Files interview, Candy gets a call that Schneeberger has been denied parole. And it's just so cute because she's so happy. She's like, whoa, this is a great moment for me. Like, she's just really excited that she just got this news on the phone. This um, Forensic Files, by the way, is called Bad Blood, if you want to check it out. That was in 2001 where he was denied parole. And then what's a little bit crazy, I just wanted to mention this side note. The Canadian courts forced Lisa to take her two daughters, because she had two biological daughters with Schneeberger, aged five and six to visit him in prison. 
she kept appealing and appealing and being like, I do not want to take my daughters to see their pedophile father. And like, she kept losing where they said she had to. So she actually started working with politicians to pass a law in Canada called Lisa's law that would stop children from being forced into a relationship with a convicted pedophile parent. I Googled and Googled and could not find out whether Lisa's law had actually been passed. Like I found some documents of it from Canada, but I can't tell if it's been passed. And this was in 2003. So I don't know whether it actually happened or not. So if you're a Canadian listener involved with the law and you know if Lisa's law actually got passed, please let us know. Lisa also, even though she was glaring at Candy and being kind of a bitch, she really like immediately realized what her monster her uh, husband was. She divorced him immediately and then went to work on getting him deported. She argued that if he hadn't faked his blood sample, he would have been convicted and never gotten his citizenship because he got his citizenship during the like investigation. Where is he from? He's from Africa. He's actually from he's Rhodesian, which I believe is Zimbabwe now. And he was deported eventually back to South Africa, where he lives with his mother. In 2003, he was denied parole again. But then later in 2003, he was released, having served four out of the six years. So for raping this woman while she was barely conscious and raping his teenage daughter, a stepdaughter for years. He got four years in prison, which is disgusting. But well, you also know how, like, if you're a professional boxer or something and you punch someone, you're sent like the crime is heavier because your yeah. body is a weapon like that should be the case with doctors. Like if you have a job where you're trusted and you're supposed to help the community, like you should get in trouble for breaking that code. I don't know. No, I totally agree. And he was, of course, stripped of his medical license in Canada and was deported back to South Africa in 2004 and tried to register as a doctor there, but then suddenly withdrew his application. And now he and then all I have found is articles from 2004 that say he lives with his mom. You cannot find any recent information about him in like the past like 16 years. And then I don't know if you're going to get to this, but I remember this episode of Forensic Files and they were interviewing the people from the town that even with all this evidence and conviction, we're still on the doctor's side. Oh, yes. Yes. Afterwards, they said that like Candy's like some people in town still believe I set this whole thing up and like, I don't really care. I'm like, Candy, you're too good for Kipling, Saskatchewan. Get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. Come visit us. I, yeah. No, Candy is a fucking badass. And the fact that she kept pushing and went so far out of her way to catch this guy is really amazing yeah because i think it took seven years it took seven years from the crime to the guilty verdict and i think people a lot of people would have given up and rightfully so not to judge anyone that does give up because a lot of times you just think the system's not going to work for me but luckily it did work out and he um unfortunately is fucking free but he can't practice medicine anymore so hopefully he doesn't have access to victims but that's that story Wild case. And I wonder if this case has inspired other lunatics to do this tube blood thing or people have gotten away with it. It's just a real like there needs to be some kind of rule where you have to take your clothes fully off to give blood. I don't know. But this is insane. Well, it's so crazy to me, too, that this guy like did three tests. He almost beat three tests. I mean, he did beat three tests. Technically, the last one was degraded. And it's weird that he wouldn't know enough to just like replace the blood for the third test. Like he was using the same batch oh, of blood. It was the same tube every time. Yeah. The same tube three times, which is why I think within a year it worked, but then the next test was a couple years later. And like, at this point that blood's like a few years old and it was like the tech in the day they, they had, they show the tech, like talking in the forensic files, like to, I guess doing video notes. And she's like, I don't know. The blood looked kind of like, 
I don't know how to say this, like not fresh. Like <laughs> so, and that's a person that draws blood all the time. So I guess they know. But then the blood wouldn't match unless he had it from the same person. Right. It, that's what I'm saying. But like, if it's the same, I guess I thought like, oh, if it's the same patient, so you have like kind of a little stockpile of their blood that you're keeping in a <laughs> fridge somewhere. If you're such a, if you're a doctor and you came up with this crazy plan, keep a little stockpile of the blood. And I would like to know if the nurse set her up and this was um, a partnered situation. Like, why would you, why would you even suggest it? And I mean, there's just no way to know that he's, she's the only victim can't like Candace. Like, and the, the, the actual Lisa, the wife said, you know, he always wanted to give our kids injections whenever they had like headaches or anything like that. She was always like, what about like aspirin? And he'd be like, this is faster. So he was like very injection happy. And I think that's like just really freaky to me that this guy just wanted to like sedate people all the time. And it just shows you no matter how much evidence there are people that are just like, he didn't do it. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, yeah, she, she went into his home, took an old condom, somehow got it way deep up inside of her. It's just crazy. Kara, thank you for telling us all about that case. It is truly mm. messed up. Did you guys like that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll be right back with an interview for the ages. Lisa. I don't even know how to introduce this next guest. She literally, when we've done a poll on our Instagram of who is everybody's favorite ADAs, she is one of the tops that people choose. She spent several seasons on this show blowing us away as an assistant district attorney. You can also catch her in the upcoming Lifetime movie, Circle of Deception. We are beyond thrilled to share our conversation with Casey Novak, a.k.a. Diane Neal. So let me ask about your like SVU journey. Like we know, obviously, that you were in an episode previous to being Casey Novak, right. where you were Amelia Chase. Right. And kind of like everyone that's ever been on an episode of SVU, right? Like everyone. Yeah. Like Ice-T was in the weird movie. But people always DM us because they don't, they're like, I just saw Novak as a different character or they'll be like, I just saw Rollins as a rape victim. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> do you guys not like, I think they're always surprised when like a regular has been on before, you know, that is totally true. I thought the weirdest though was on the, the mothership. I don't know if you guys are into the mothership, but when like Jeremy Sisto was like a cop and then just came back at the end of the next season as a different human being and a lawyer. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's like, that takes me out of it a little bit. No, so that that episode that I was the rapist and the murderer, it was crazy because I had I it was like my first big gig. Yeah, like I was looking at your IMDB and I was like, oh, this seems like it was kind of one of her first things. Oh, that was that was like it. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know like what marks were on the ground. I didn't know like basics. You would never know. You seemed like a pro. Yeah, you have this one look when you're sitting, what is it, the table with the lawyer? And yes. you just, you make this evil sexual face that is so good. <laughs> oh my God. And the crazy part is I was like 22. Okay. Wow. I, had, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And the worst is, and this is totally true. And, and so I hope nobody's heard this one before, but it's, so the first scene that I shot in that first episode was on Fifth Avenue and like 57th Street. I don't know why. It was like an exterior with Munch and Finn. And the problem with like Ice and Belzer is like they're so recognizable and for so long and from everything that happened in their entire careers before SVU. 
So every time they'd yell action and I'd walk out this building door, you know, like a murderer. And, <laughs> and as I don't know how murderers walk, but that's my impression. And someone would yell like, yo, ice, or like, hey, Bowser, cut. That's crazy. Cause I always think about that. I'm like, I know they can block off streets to stop people, but how can they stop people from yelling and like, you know? Oh my God. No, they can't. The amount of ADR that you do in the <laughs> show, which is like, you know, voiceover looping yeah, for yeah, people yeah. at home. Like it's, it's where like the sound got messed up when you're filming. And so you have to go and lip sync with yourself on like a big screen and it's super weird. But, um, well, there's so much ADR in it because yeah, everyone on the street, they're just yelling, yo, yo, yo. Everyone just screams constantly. That's so funny. Cause I recognized where you were. I was like, oh, they're kind of near Rockefeller Center. They're like a little bit near Rockefeller Center. I know where they are. And I noticed in that scene specifically how many people there were. It just feel like it felt like the street was super, super busy. Oh, it was like the middle of the day in Midtown. <laughs> like it was nuts. But like, so like 50 takes, it was like my first scene. And like, you know how you just get progressively more nervous? By the time, like, it, like, I walked out the door, the one we actually got, I was like, <laughs> like, full, like, monster, like, twitching, hands were claws, like, everything, everything was bad. I was like, <laughs> and I remember the director pulled me aside, and he was like, and he's still a friend of mine. He's this awesome dude named Gus Mackers, and he's just like, um, hey, Diane, can you just maybe act like a human? <laughs> just say the words like a human. Just, you know, look and walk and, and act like a human. And I'm like, I'll do my best. Like, speak like a human too. I'm like, okay. You know, I was like, I'll do what I can. It was so stressful. So then how did it come about you coming back like seasons later to be Casey? Did they offer it to you? Did you have to audition? Like, what was that process? It was great. So it was like a year and a half later. And it was like, you guys know pilot season. And, pilot, and I'm older than you guys are. But when pilot season back in the day... So it used to book the dramas first and then the comedies would book first. And then like I had a, a show in first, second and third position, right? Where I got to star in, which was so much fun. But anyway, none of them go to series. But the main one was on NBC and Stephanie was leaving SVU. And so they're like, we want to bring her into audition for this. And so it was really crazy. My friend Cody DePablo played Ziva on NCIS. So Cody remembers this. I don't remember this, but apparently it was three of us in the waiting room. It was me, Cody DePablo, and someone else for like the final audition. And you go in and I remember doing it. And then I remember leaving. And I remember thinking it was the worst audition I'd ever had. Like ever. Wow. I was like, wow, just, am I allowed to cuss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to check. Okay. All right. But like, I, I was like, wow, I shit the bed. Like I shit the bed. Like I shit the bed. I rolled around in the shit in my, in my bed. <laughs> then I wore it as a cape and went outside and showed everyone my <laughs> shitty sheets. Like just bad. I was like, well, that's that. And I didn't hear anything for weeks. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was weird. So I just figured obviously that's not happening. Like I didn't think twice about it after walking out of the room, to be honest. Cause it was like, Ugh. you like train yourself, right? Like when I was auditioning all the time in New York, I just trained myself to forget about it. The second I walked out of the room. Right. Immediately. I was like, and then if I get a call, it'll be a nice surprise. Right. Assume you get nothing yeah. if it happens. And it's like, Hey, <laughs> so anyway, I get this call out of the blue. They're like, do you want the job? And so, you know, they're like, look, they're only going to pay you this much, which was, you know, TV minimum wage, but it was like, but it's already on the air. Right. So it's better than the pilots that you're doing that you make a fortune, but never go anywhere. Right. So I'm like, and I really don't like LA. Like I, like I detest it on a cellular level. <laughs> I don't know if it's just the sunshine. I mean, you see how pale I am. Like, 
it's horrifying. So I, uh, uh, I was like, yeah, I get to stay here and be on a really good show with really good people. And then it was nuts. Cause like you go and then you start to, and work was starting in like a week. And I was like, uh, yeah, all right. And then they have you do all the promo photos, but the best is they have you do the promo photos and then they pull you out. So then they would just have like Marishka and Chris and Bell, <laughs> you know, like just in case you didn't work yeah. out. They're like, you know, like, ah, let's just, let's just cover our bases. We don't want to do another photo shoot. Like, all right. Yeah. You just come on out of there. So it was like a really, the kind of the, the greatest thing in the universe about being on SVU and, and starting. So I was like 24, maybe 25. Yeah. It was only, yeah. If it was only a couple of years later, season five. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just one of those things that, um, I'm really happy that it happened. But all the things I knew about episodic television were things I learned from like Extra and Access Hollywood and zero (laughs) percent of that was true. Had you watched any of the first four seasons of SVU? No, I was like way more of like a South Park kind of family guy. I like stupid things, you know, I like things that make me laugh. No, I mean, we like stupid things too, just because we love this show. It's true. It's true. But it's like, it always cracks me because sometimes like if you meet like a a super fan, you'd be like, oh man, which do you like more? The rape or the murder? Which one? What do you like? Because it's like, wow, it's really kind of a creepy show. But it used to give me nightmares. It totally would give me nightmares. No, there are parts of the show, Lisa and I talk about all the time that haunt us like to this day like very yeah. very traumatic parts of it but it is like it's such a cult like show people are obsessed with it and we are part of those people i totally get i get it <laughs> but by the way the one that still gives me nightmares is ritual the episode ritual is that with the guy from lost with the boy i don't know if it's i never watched lost either sorry he was like an art gallery like african art dealer yes oh yes. yes yeah yes and they made it look like santeria or some kind of thing but they were murdering yes. these sex slave children that they and bought. he was bringing them over and then eventually uh-huh. and then, yes i just watched that one the other day isn't that crazy i just watched it for fun the other day dude dude <laughs> is it just i read the script and i was like ooh, ooh. like it oh. gave me full-on nightmares when the and wife still, and like the wife like when the, the wife, wife realizes that her husband is doing this that is like that is a really crazy oh my god that it's the the whole thing is insane and what drives me nuts is like people are so fucked up Mm -hmm. like this shit really happened well that's what our podcast is about i mean it's about the real people like we you know we do an episode and then we talk about the true crime that it's based off of well i mean like okay so this is i don't know which episode this one's for you'll have to tell me but like the, the crazy part about this when we read we had the read through of ritual i turned to neil bear who was the executive producer and i was like I was like, Neil, this is insane. He's like, yeah, it's the third biggest moneymaker on earth, human trafficking in the black market. It's drugs, it's guns, and then it's humans. And I was just like, oh, you know, like my 24-year-old mind or whatever at the time, 25, like blown out of my head because it was just, it was, it was horrifying, horrifying to think about. The episode that this interview will be with is your first episode, Serendipity. Oh, Serendipity. With the honey, the honey rapist. Do you want to hear something crazy about that episode? Yes, yes. please. <laughs> okay. So my hair in, in real life, this is the, the this, wow, it looks really, I'm just like, like just a face. I might as well be doing like, if anyone can home see, I'm, I look like I'm wearing like a black turtleneck and I'm in all darkness and just my face has light. It's kind of creepy. Um, it's gross. But my hair is, is naturally strawberry blonde. And, you know, kind of that, that medium Jew frizz, you know, where it has to be straightened or it has to be curled, but you can't kind of really leave it. It's not like a cool, you can't get curls or anything out of it. It's just, 
but it's really long and it's really blonde. So like when I went back, like in 2012, that's my hair. Yeah. We were wondering about that. We were like, what your hair was so dark at the beginning. They chopped it off and then dyed it that purpley red. It's really wild. (laughs) And so like when the first episode aired, like my friends and stuff were calling and no one was saying anything about like acting ability or anything like that. (laughs) All they would talk about is like, what the fuck happened to your hair, dude? What they do to your hair? And you look like you're 50. I'm like, whatever, man. It was funny because there's also just like pieces that are curled and like other pieces that are straight. It's just a funny. I look like a water buffalo. But when you come back later, your hair is great. When it's your natural color. I guess that's like goes to show like when you stick with like what's natural like that you look your hair looks great in those seasons. Yeah, well, it's weird because they would change it every season, too. And there was one season I called the honey bun year where it was just up in these very elaborate mm, like I Swiss misdues. Yeah, <laughs> it was really weird. And, and they did one year, one season where it was what I call potato chip blonde because it looks like a baked lays. Oh, yeah. They made you really, really blonde. And like it was a little bit crispy. Oh man, did my head hurt because they, it was, it was rough. Cause you know, when you have red in your hair, trying to get that out to make it potato chippy. <laughs> so hard. So were these all their decisions or were you like, Hey, can I go blonde? Or they were very, Oh, you know, I wasn't even allowed to wear chapstick unless I was given permission. Wow. Yeah, I know. Like I did other people pick, but that's what you get paid for. Yeah. Yeah. One of our favorite wardrobe moments is your softball outfit. Yeah, sex crimes. Oh, I love that. We're obsessed with the sex crime softball tee. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we. You know what? We need to have some of these made because I had the real one from the show forever. Because guess what? Apparently, that is exactly what was on the Brooklyn SVU NYPD shirts. It said sex crimes. So that was from Amanda Green, co-producer and writer Amanda Green, because she was a real employee of the real SVU in Brooklyn before she started working for the show. That was their softball tee. So I was like, it's incredible. So was there a lot of writers that were former law enforcement? Tons. Wow. So like you guys don't, you guys probably don't even know this. Do you want to hear like a super seek? What's not even secret, but nobody knows it. And she is still one of my closest friends and we, we work together on all kinds of stuff. Hopefully we'll have a, a true crime movie coming out soon, (laughs) but do you know the writer Christine Torres? No. So she wrote the one I came back. She was a sta- yeah. Look her up. She's a staff writer. The last few seasons, like before Warren Light took over as showrunner, she's the real Novak. Oh, wow. she is who my character is based on. So she's a real like prosecutor. She was an ADA in Brooklyn DA's office. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what we hear the most from like actors when we interview them is like how the show is such a like well-oiled machine, but like you were also on sort of towards the beginning when it was probably still kind of finding that footing, you know? Oh yeah. But they were also completely annoyed with me. I mean, like they could not have been because the the next youngest person. So you think I'm just like 24, 25, like the next youngest person was Mariska. So it was wild. So, and I'm like, Oh my God, like if I have this much energy at like 44, like imagine at 24, I'm like, Hey guys, how's everybody doing? Wow. We're in the zeitgeist. This is so cool. Are we doing a shoot this weekend? And no one else gives a damn because they've all got kids. Like no one wants to deal with 
this asshole. And I'm just like, I love it. I love standing in for myself. I love being on set all the time. You know, just like a complete moron. But okay, perfect example. Do you, do you guys know Wet Hot American Song? Yes, of course. I, I've yeah. seen it a thousand okay. times. A thousand times. <laughs> a thousand times, right? So when I first get there, I'm like, oh, that's what I know Maloney from. I don't know him from Oz. I don't know him from anything you know him like from that. Making love to a refrigerator. Refrigerator. So I brought an open, I would open it every morning. Like I'd wake up, I'd open a can of mixed vegetables part way and I would take it to set with me and I would put it somewhere like on his oh desk God. or like, and for like six months, six months go this by and amazing. finally- and I swear to God, like, you know, when he gets mad in those veins in the neck, like that big, strong, he's like, who keeps doing this? <laughs> right? Like, just like, like, like he's going to destroy everyone in his path. <laughs> and I'm dying of laughter. And I'm like, oh my God, Chris, I do. And he's like, why? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Dude, so simple, wet, hot American summer. Uh, and he's like, what? How old are you? <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm 25. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, completely calm down. It's completely normal. Like, it was like six months of it before. That's an amazing bit to keep That's up. commitment. Wow. Oh, my God. Well, you know, and the best part is, is that every time he does something with, like, the Wet Hot American Summer cast, like, Chris will text me a picture of him with a can of mixed vegetables. Uh-huh. So it's taken, like, 20 years, but he finally That's came around awesome. and goes, no, I feel like <laughs> I think that like people that find that movie retroactively are like he does comedy and it's like he's so good at comedy. He's like, so funny. I used to make him do all the time the one from Harold and Kumar where he's like, you know, he's plays freak show, yes. but he's like, what, Randy, what, Kristen Smith is everywhere, you know, just all the time. I'm like. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. It sounds like everybody's really like kind of a jokester on the set a lot. Everyone's a jokester. (laughs) Yeah. I really wanted to ask you this because we're like intense fans and love the show so much. But like, are people nuts to you on the streets? Okay, I'll give you like, so like New York, you know how it is. You guys have both lived in People New York. People kind so of ignore the celebs in New York more, I feel like. Ignore right? celebs or you just get this all the time, which is kind of the greatest. Like if you're just waiting for like a light to change or something, people are like, hey man, I love you. And you're like, thanks man. You know, like it's just, <laughs> and like who in the world gets to have people tell them that like, I love you like all day. Like that just... What blows me away are that all the people that recognize me with my mask on. I find that truly bizarre. That's crazy. Lisa one time recognized her favorite porn star with a mask on and sunglasses on. Is it is it Rock Rosa Freddy? Who is it? <laughs> no, it's a it's Nikki Hartz. She's like a butchy tattooed girl. Oh, hello. Yeah. I just was very <laughs> like impressed I, with Lisa's like ability. That is. And by the way, that's not usually the part you're probably looking at. So like, <laughs> who knows? Like that's hard. But then there are other things like, okay, you, you guys this so I was home in Colorado and I was with a friend and we were like in the middle of like nowhere, you know, just like those tiny little towns. And, and like at the general store that just has, you know, it sells everything in the universe. And I kid you not, I don't know what we ate or where we ate it, but it was like a rumble in the Bronx. Like I was not okay. And we were miles and miles and miles from anything. And I saw this little store. And I'm like, I'm going to get like Pepto because I'm probably going to die. And this is like while SVU is on. And sorry, it was so crazy. Like, I was seriously like, then I had to use the restroom and I did not leave it in a better condition, which is not my life rule. Like it was, it was rough. Right. But then I finally go up to the front and I get my, they didn't have pet, which is so I get like Tums. 
And the girl looks up and she screams and she's like, Can I say no? <laughs> she opened the back door and just ran. She just started running. I have no idea where she went. I finally just left a couple bucks on the counter. I was like, I guess I'm going to go now. But like, we were in that part of Colorado where like, I could have watched her run away for like three days. You know, like she was just going and going and going and going. Oh my God. That's amazing. And it's weird. Cause like, I'm, I assume you guys didn't grow up with like celebrity parents or anything mm-hmm. like that. Right. Like totally. So for the first year, I thought I had like spinach in my teeth, like the entire year. Cause I'm like, why is that really looking at me? Yeah. But just constantly. I had I had no idea. This is a really weird thing. That's awesome. Wow. Well, can we ask you a couple of like little SVU questions? You can ask me any question you want. Okay. In the universe. Let's say you needed a detective ASAP. Which one would you like to show up in your doorstep? Stabler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hell okay, yeah. good. Good, good answer. <laughs> I mean, like, I'd be stoked if Benson showed up too. But like if like I feel like Stabler has the bulk yes. to take care of any kind of problem. The physic out of every detective. Like, you know, no offense to Danny Pino, no offense to anybody. But like Stabler was like, something was going down. He could just like flex a titty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like knock people over. So in shape. So true. Who would you have, like, of all these, like, characters, this could be side characters, judges, whatever, like, was there ever anybody that you kind of wanted Novak to get romantically involved with? I thought there was, like, a little bit of a spark between Chester. Yeah, he flirted with you. Yeah, he was definitely, like, flirty. I think if they'd hung around for more than a minute, like, they would have hooked up. That Chester episode, I mean, that's the reason you lost the not you Novak stopped being able to be a lawyer for three years. I know. Heartbreaking. So... What do you think Novak did in those three years? <laughs> Probably a lot of drugs. No, no. <laughs> knowing, knowing Novak, like that's it. Chris and I always, real Novak and I always joke about this because we, ha- we have the exact same like overdeveloped sense of justice and kind of single-mindedness for all this stuff. And we're always like dumbfounded by horrible things, even though we know better at this point. Like, it's quite amusing, but Novak probably would have gone into private practice. Yeah. That's probably what she would have done. And then waited until she got to go back again. And if I had to guess, I'd be like, she's probably a judge now. Yeah. Yeah. Is there like a judge that you would see on the call sheet or a defense attorney and you would be like, oh, we're going to we're about to have a fun day today. Okay, like it's and again, not knocking anyone else, just the ones that come to mind first. Judge Petrovsky. We are Judge Petrovsky (laughs) stands over here all the way. She (laughs) is she is like one of my personal life heroes. She's a a, she's a checkoff professor at NYU. And yeah, no, she's truly one of the most amazing people. And we've stayed friends all these years. And then every time I would see Viola Davis, I was like. It's go time. Uh, yes. It's go time now. <laughs> I, got, I would get so jazzed because it was like the most fun thing in the world. Like Viola is incredible and we have the same size feet and she won her first Tony wearing a pair of shoes that I gave her. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's pretty fancy. That was one of my favorites to see on the call sheet. It's tough because, you know, I love Annie Potts. I love Judith yes. White. Like there's so many cool people that I'm just like, I love Peter Rieger. You know, <laughs> like I love like all. So the- let's say you uh, did commit a crime and you needed a defense attorney. Who are you hiring? That's really hard because <laughs> a lot of them are really slimy. I know this show makes defense attorneys look like 
the bad guys, which is funny. Yeah, so, so grody. I might have to go with, he was only in one episode, but also one of my favorite guest stars, Carrie Elways. Oh, yeah. Who, like, defended his kid. Yes, Emily Van Camp, right? Oh, yeah. I think so, yes. That was a good one. He was, the, he was the only person that I ever got starstruck around that I couldn't oh, speak. Oh, wow, were you, like, a big Princess Bride fan, or...? I was. I think that's like, you know, when I was coming of age, you know, when you first get tingly and like, I was like, Ooh. oh, yeah, I'm remembering it because he was a mob attorney. Yes. Yeah. He had a very interesting accent in that episode, like because I think he was doing like a New York accent. Yeah, it was super weird. It was super weird. But he's British or something, right? He's totally British. <laughs> and and like delightfully so. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't get a word out. It was like, they used to call me the one take wonder. Cause I could do like even seven pages of legal dialogue and like a take. I'm like, let's go people. Let's rock this out. Cause it's like, it's all an adventure to me. Right. I'm like, this is fun. Like let's, let's do it. But he was the, I couldn't say, I was like, and then finally he turned to me. He's like, would you like me to say it? <laughs> I'm like, are you going to say it? Oh my God. Are you going to say it? And he's like, as you wish. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine now. That's can, amazing. Now I can eviscerate you. Oh. <laughs> All right. I do have another set question. Um, a little silly, but wh- what were your go-to craft services snacks or your favorite? <laughs> okay. My favorite, Ice and I were obsessed with these things called Uncrustables. Oh, oh I love Uncrustables. I love That's Uncrustables. my airport snack. <laughs> Hold on, ladies. Hold on. I was in love with these things until I finally got my hands on an actual box. Please read that. They're un, unstable at room temperature. Oh. It's like happy fun ball. Don't taunt it. <laughs> but what does it mean that a sandwich is unstable at room temperature? I swear to God, if either one of you have a box of these, go find the box. Cause I wonder <laughs> if it still says like unstable at room temperature. No, they're the kind of thing I only get, like I just was on a set two weeks ago and I got Uncrustables from this, from the craft services truck. Cause I was like, this is where I eat them. They, I think it felt cold. I think it felt cold. I really think it was it probably felt like stable. straight out of the freezer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Cause I, they're my airport snack and they're usually by the water bottles. They're like, so they are, you're, yeah, they're usually cold, but I didn't ever put it together. No, well, cause you don't expect any food product to be unstable <laughs> at room temperature, but that's kind of, that's kind of my favorite. Would you like to talk about your upcoming movie a little bit? So I got a call out of the blue from, do you remember Ashley Williams? Yes. She was on an episode. Yes. So Ashley, this is Ashley Williams first directing job is this Lifetime movie. And did you guys meet on SVU? No, randomly. We were doing a tandem at the time. So Marishka and I were on one episode and she and, and Ashley was with Chris Maloney. She was the perp in Maloney's episode. Oh, right. So, so we never, never the twain met, but we knew because we're all the same age, you know, we're in the same kind of group of people. So we, we'd always like known about each other. And so she asked me if I wanted this job playing this evil woman which was really fun to be like the psychopath for a change. Yeah, because <laughs> you're usually the justice person, right? Yeah, and she was totally cool. I was like, um, Ashley, should I put on a little weight? She's like, I love it. Whatever you are, she is. And it's perfect. And it's based on this real woman, Peggy Sue Thomas. And it's an Anne Rule book. And it's called Circle of Deception. And we had tons of fun. And we filmed it over the summer. We actually had to shut down because of COVID. And then, you know, Canada kind of got their shit together a lot earlier. So I had two weeks in quarantine before we could start filming again. But here's the kicker. Do you guys want to know who else from SVU is in it? Yes, please. 
Tamara Tooney. Oh, yes, great. Warner baby. <laughs> Actually, for my birthday this last year, Kara and our group of girlfriends got me a cameo. Oh my from, God. You can thank me for that because I made her, I signed her up on cameo. Oh my God. <laughs> Whoa, full circle. <laughs> I don't know what to say, Lisa. That was amazing. She, we honestly were like, when we go to New York next, I think we're having lunch with her. Yes. I mean, like, we like feel like she's a new friend. I want to party with Diane a hundred percent. She seems like she gets down. So um, I don't want to forget to mention that the movie that she's in, Circle of Deception, starring Diane Neal, premieres March 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on Lifetime. And we were so excited after talking to her and I, we watched the trailer for this movie, which we will post on our Instagram, that we decided that we would like to do a very special That's Messed Up Presents a Circle of Deception unofficial Instagram live after show. So after you watch Circle of Deception, go to our Instagram, which is That's Messed Up Pod, and we're going to have like a quick recap, fun chat about the movie after we watch it. If you're on the West Coast, we're, so we're doing that at 10 p.m. Eastern. If you're on the West Coast, I know the movie will not have started for you yet. So you can either tune in for spoilers or we will post it on our Instagram and you can check out our little um, conversation after you watch. But we just thought it would be fun to sort of get on Instagram live, talk to you guys a little bit and obviously recap Circle of Deception. Yeah. And we'll have fun snacks with us. Oh, yeah. You'll see. <laughs> we'll eat string cheese in front of you or something. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot wait to watch me eat string cheese. It is a sight. To behold. And Tamara Tooney is in it as well. Yes. So that's two SVU legends, one movie. So <laughs> check it out. Lisa, let's get into the postmortem. This was an exciting episode, a ridiculous true crime. What, what are your thoughts? I'm sorry, but nothing has made me happier than knowing iced tea like Suncrustables. <laughs> a non-shelf stable food. Yeah, that will stay in my heart for the ages because I love them too. And yeah, I like it. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. No other takeaways. JK. Um, uh, yeah, I guess dermatologists are evil and we have to watch our backs. <laughs> Trust no one. Oh, I learned something good from actually a friend who wrote me um, who wrote me a message on Facebook who said, as a librarian, what those librarians are doing in this episode is not OK. We take it really seriously. Patrons privacy. And we would never have just been like giving away all the books this woman reads or like what her deal is or how she was pregnant by this man so but does she know the gossip because i was shocked that the librarians knew so much and like all of her comings and goings <laughs> i would yeah. like to know if does your friend uh gossip with the peeps does she know oh i'll have to ask i mean i'm sure there's varying degrees of i have other friends i actually have two or three friends that have like degrees in the library sciences. So I will definitely check with them. But um I think you get a whole cast of characters at a library. And I miss the library. Just- yeah, the smell is great. At the I'm library. fucking miss it. Damn. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, I think we can learn a lot from Candy, the woman that this was based on. Not that anybody does anything wrong, but this woman like did not give up. She pressed the legal system to prosecute the guy who did it and, and arrest him. And uh, she was victorious in the end. And I just think she's such a badass. And it's not like we needed to learn this because it seems like it's just knowledge at this point. But how fucked the system is and now no one believes victims and i don't know it shouldn't be so hard to prosecute a fucking rapist right 
And also, I don't know, make the guys roll up their whole full sleeve. Tell guys that when they come in for their blood draw, they have to wear tank tops now because of this guy. Now we have to have everybody in Canada has to have tank tops on to get their blood drawn so that you can't have a freaking tube of old ass blood hit it in your arm. Yeah, I guess I also learned you could put tubes of blood in your arm. So that's a lesson as well. Yeah, I could do that. We also learned we also well, I wouldn't say we learned, but it was reiterated that Christopher Maloney has a fucking dump truck of an ass and (laughs) (laughs) it does not quit when he goes to dunk that child molesters face into the water over and over. You're getting a look at two nice little juicy peaches right there. It's wild. I wonder how many squats he's doing. Oh, my God. It's just funny when my brother has a butt kind of my brother that reminds me of Christopher Maloney in a gross way. Um, Like, and it's just funny when men have butts, like my husband has no butt, but like some men have like real fucking badonkadonks and it's funny. Yeah. Baseball players usually. Yeah. Yeah. Nice asses. (laughs) I also like learning that Diane Neal um, had some thoughts about her hairdos. Like that was great to know that she also was like, I looked fucking insane and they just did whatever they wanted to me. Oh, I also, I mean, we learned so much from her that like the writing staff are people that were professionals in the field. That was really uh, cool to know. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we learned that Sex crimes was the name of the actual softball team. Never forget. That's like too good. Um, Would love some action shots. If anyone played on those teams, would love action shots of people sliding into first in their sex crimes baseball shirt or softball shirt. I liked learning that your takeaway from Stabler dunking a guy was about his ass and not what cops can get away with dunking a <laughs> right. dude. Looking for also, an that's police brutality, but yeah. <laughs> Also, this is what I learned not from this episode, but from something I mentioned last week about um, like that some countries do decriminalization in a way where it's like selling sex is not illegal, but buying sex is illegal. Am I saying this right? Yes, you're saying right. So selling sex is legal, but buying sex is illegal. It's, It's called the Nordic model. We have found out. Yeah. And I guess it has not been working well. So it's like good on paper, but in, it's been it used in Canada and Vancouver and stuff. And people wrote to us saying that it is actually awful. Like most things are for. Yeah, sex no. Workers. And obviously we always push for full decriminalization. I think we were mentioning that as like, oh, that sounds like better than what we have. But it obviously has problems as well. So not an answer overall, for sure. So I'm glad when people send us information about uh, different things. We can't know everything. Yeah, I don't think you should get mad at people for not knowing everything, but that might be a controversial statement. (laughs) Okay, now it is time for What Would Sister Peg Do? Our weekly segment where we give you guys a organization or some resources to help you uh, get a little bit more context and information about the topics that we talked about in today's episode. Obviously, we dealt with a pretty heinous sexual assault today. And so we actually wanted to use today to uh, highlight Mariska Hargitay's foundation, the Joyful Heart Foundation. Their mission is to a world free of sexual assault, domestic violence, and child abuse. They also work really hard to end the backlog of rape kits, which this victim in this, in the real life story had to really, you know, push for her rape kit to get tested and everything. I know this is in Canada, but you know, we have definitely a huge rape kit backlog here in the U S and, um, definitely head over to joyfulheartfoundation.org to learn more about this great organization. There's tons of workshops and ways to get involved and ways to donate. 
And next week, we will be covering the episode Stranger, Season 10, Episode 11, a very requested episode. And you can watch all episodes, like always, on Hulu and Peacock. And we cannot wait to see you next week. And, you know, text us. No, not text us. (laughs) Please, (laughs) please don't dox us. Um, Tweet at us, Instagram, email, you know, all that jazz. We like hearing from you. Thank you. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>